You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight, we're looking at the second episode of Bugs, entitled Assassins, Inc. Roz is attending a formal do-on-a-ship-with-a-friend. At this event, a ruler in exile of Samueristan is murdered by a mosquito-like assassination drone. Roz catches a glimpse of it, but it is stepped on before she can retrieve it, so she doesn't even bother to pick up the pieces. Meanwhile, Nick and Ed are on a job. They are breaking into a corporation to steal intellectual property. Of course, they don't use the word steal because that's an ugly word. They are on the side of justice and niceness because this intellectual property was bought out by another corporation. The check bounced. The corporation filed for bankruptcy. Now the original developer was neither paid nor do they have their software. It will take months, if not years, for it to be sorted out by the courts. They successfully break into the system, steal the code, and wipe all traces of it from the computer. So this isn't breaking and entering, illegal hacking and theft, it's justice! And soon, they've turned it all over to the client, Irene. Another job successfully accomplished. Meanwhile, Roz's friend, who happens to be a British official working for an organization tasked with preventing illegal export and use of UK-developed killing technologies, tells her about a group of people, the eponymous Assassin's Inc. of the title, who have developed deadly technology, including these mosquito assassins that can be programmed to kill a specific person by their pheromones. In fact, that's their speciality, highly selective killing devices. Luckily, the government seized all their intellectual assets. Unluckily, they have been unable to get past the security system, and they'd like Roz's help. She brings in the boys! who are surprised to learn this is the very building and computer that they broke into earlier. Irene shows up with her lawyer, and the boys know they've been had. And Irene knows they know they've been had. The boys confess to Roz and her friend, and they are arrested, thrown in jail for 30 years, and the series ends abruptly. Oh, but wait, this is 1995, and there are no laws on the books about cybercrime. And since the breaking and entering was in aid of hacking, which isn't a crime, that's all okay, too. Roz's team, which I'm now going to call Bugs because I think that's the name of their business, go on the offensive, starting with what they do best, surveillance. They spot the chief political rival of the slain ruler in exile talking with a British admiral. He happens to be the UK's unofficial liaison to the government in exile. The rival is the man who hired Assassin's Inc. to kill the leader. Now, he's used this meeting to grab a tape recording of the Admiral's voice, which the Assassins use in another clever device, a bomb that explodes only when it hears a confirmed voice print of the intended victim. Nick tries to talk to the Admiral, but he has no time for gimmicky amateurs, and he brushes him off. Moments later, he is dead, the victim of a targeted bomb. Roz plants a bug on Irene by getting her to eat it in her breakfast. Irene discovers it before there's any information compromised, but she's impressed with their tech and lets them know before she has it jammed. 
It's game on, though, and Irene has smart bombs planted in Roz and Nick's apartments. Roz escapes because she has an extension phone, and Nick escapes because he has a fax machine. Ed, however, is targeted with something new and even more sinister. Irene's people have developed a virus that can be programmed to any specific level of DNA matching. It can target individual people, families, or even entire ethnic groups. Ed is targeted with this new virus and starts to die from it. The paying client plans to wipe out the entire royal family so that there are no legitimate political rivals to his government. Roz brings the bomb they retrieved from Nick's to Irene's office and tell her that she's reprogrammed it for her voice and that if she speaks, she dies. Locking everyone in, they convince Irene's lawyer to reveal the cure and then they leave them behind, locked in with a bomb. Nick rushes to stop the virus from being released, which he does, and Ross rushes to save Ed, which she does. Irene tells her lawyer he's an idiot because the whole reprogramming the bomb thing was a bluff just before she dies in a fiery explosion. And Ross is arrested, thrown in jail for 30 years, and the series ends abruptly. Nope. Wait, this is 1995, and there are no laws on the books yet about murder. The end. Okay. <laughs> Bugs, episode two. I really was surprised that they did not... You know, last time they ended with, hey, I've got a business proposition for you guys. And I thought they were going to set up their own business. And honestly, I thought the name of the business was going to be Bugs because <laughs> why not? But no, we didn't get anything. I mean, I, I wouldn't... You wouldn't even know... I mean, there's absolutely nothing about that in this episode. About this being a business arrangement. No. These are, these are just three people doing stuff. I mean, yeah, Nick calls Irene a client. But apart from that, uh, it, it, they really did not... This does not feel like episode two. This just feels like, yeah, we're not even, even going to bother to follow up with anything we talked about in the first one. Let's just, just go. Well, what do you think of the episode? Well, I, I, I also have some questions and, and maybe some criticisms, but I, I, this is this is pretty much how I like my absurd Saturday fantasy to play out. I, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I enjoyed the episode, and I, I, I mean, there were as, as alluded to, I do have a little bit of problem with the fact that Roz murdered that woman, and there is no. There is no way around that. That's, that's exactly the same premeditated murder as they did when they planted the bomb on the Admiral. You know, you, you can't use the excuse, well, I gave her a chance. If she, if she didn't talk, she wouldn't die. So I didn't commit murder. You can't. That, that was that, dead. And they're not government. They don't have any extrajudicial rule, uh, authority to commit murder, as far as we know. <laughs> So well, I, I thought that was a little weird. I'm not. I'm it, not. Yep. Yeah, you're. You're coming. In terms of that, you're coming at that from a legal perspective. Unless you're saying that the, unless you're saying that government-sanctioned extrajudicial murder is morally superior to any other form of extrajudicial murder. Uh, no, no, not exactly. But in other words, if I'm watching a story about James Bond and he murders somebody, it, it is part and parcel of the concept of who James Bond is, double O agent licensed to kill. Uh, 
and I'm watching this where you got three people that have gone together to form a job to do what could arguably be considered illegal industrial espionage to begin with um, commit murder I you think know, that, I not think even in self-defense there is part, part of the concept of this show which is possibly set up quite badly in Out of the Hive is this idea that governments are not necessarily no it's not the no it's that's that's not quite right it's not the governments it's it's that the the agents of the government are often corrupt and not to be trusted and therefore that in some way the heroes of the show are justified in acting outside of the law because they've had to act outside of the law in order to they've had to act, they've had to act outside of the law in order to stay one step ahead or to to avoid being well assassinated essentially by the the corrupt agents of the government that we saw in the in the previous episode and i this isn't coming from memories of other episodes that i've seen uh, so much as just a general sense and perhaps a sense you know that was more prevalent in tv in the 90s that there there is a kind of distrust of government and that what is more important here is the is the individual moral sense of our heroes now you can question that i think you just have there it's it's definitely questionable but i don't think that it's i don't think it's important to the concept of the show whether they behave in a legal way or not i well i i okay i'll i'll expound a little bit on why this feels so weird to me and you know this may be the conventions of american television um as i'm sure you know there's a lot of violence on american television Uh, a lot of gunplay a lot of killing um and the good guys kill bad guys but there has always been this always in the old days sort of unwritten rule maybe heck it's may even be written down the good guys always have an excuse to make it self-defense right whereas somebody like james bond the reason james bond is so different is because james bond doesn't have to be self-defense he can go kill somebody because that's his job and it gets them out of the way. But if Mannix or Barnaby Jones yeah, kills somebody, they're going to do it after the other guy shot at them first, right? There's, there's always there's always that moment of it's justifiable that, homicide, and that's the Western, and, though, isn't it? That's, that's well, that's it's, where that it's, sensibility is coming from. From the television western, yes, not the real west. They were a bunch of bloodthirsty killers, but um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm, but but. but well, yeah, but even so, yeah. I mean, the the, te- the television West is it, there has to be some kind of moral structure that comes out of the lawlessness, some kind of right. moral code, because you don't have the law, right? But they carried that through to all the private detective stuff of the '60s and '70s. I mean, it, it's it's just always it has been that way until the last couple of decades when sort of the rise of a a little bit more of an anti-hero but even then they have this tendency to do it this is the 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 breaking and entering we can we can talk about the breaking and entering separately but when Bronze brought that bomb in first off i didn't like the way it played out because if irene thought it was a bluff 
then Irene should have spoke while they were all in the room and killed them all. <laughs> but she didn't. But if she thought it was bluff, she wouldn't have killed them all. Right. If it was a bluff, she would have spoke, and they, and then nothing, you know, nothing would have happened, and then they wouldn't have done it. So she was obviously worried enough that it might be real, despite the fact that these people obviously knew they would all die when that happened or potentially all die when that happened, which is a good reason to think it's a bluff. There's not many people who will come in and put a bomb, you know, in front of you and say, if you speak, this will blow up and kill us both. Because that's not very... That, that's not a very good bluff, frankly. And so the fact that she was convinced it was real enough to shut up and let the lawyers spill the beans says, you know, she thought it was real. He walks. They walk out the door and lock him in with that bomb, and then she goes, "Oh well, it's a bluff." And boom, that that part didn't work for me. But the fact is that Ross not taking the bomb out of the room when they lock them in just compounds it. I mean, it's 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 effectively threat of murder when she locked she brought it in just like if they planted the bomb in Roz's place and said, well it'll go off and that, that's murder or attempted murder but she didn't take it with her like as if these people were not going to be arrested or uh, and and also when they get blown up as if her friend in the British government who uh, corrupt or not do we do we really think that that it would go without an inquiry and say, well, yeah, who did plant the bomb there? Oh, well, uh, yeah, Ross did. So uh, maybe a trial or something see, would be in order. I, I, I don't know. It, it just seems so egregiously premeditated that uh, it, that that resolution threw me quite a bit. It's like, whoa, this is not what I expected from these people at all. I don't, I don't think, I mean, I think, there, there is a line in there, Ros saying, "Your country needs you." So there is, there is. I think I was probably lacking in precision when I said it's a question of the government, the government being bad. It's not, it's not that. You know, the, it's that. Well, they be, they believe in in country. Um, it's that. There is corruption within it, and therefore the people working for the government may be bad. Now, the person who, Ros's friend, who she is working with, is obviously not one of those. What I think is going on in this episode, I mean, this this is my, this is this is one of the kind of minor criticisms I have with this because overall I did think it was really good, but the scope there is in this, I mean, it, it's a criticism because it could have been even better. I guess the scope for this is to have a more sophisticated look at the actual morality of the arms dealing that is going on in here. Because the general kind of attitude seems to be all, all private arms sales are bad. The, you know, the, it's, it's, this, it's this kind Government, of... Just, government's okay, but yeah. Well, it, I, I guess I guess you you know you you would say it's all right if you it's all right if you sell it to your own government. I mean it it it's a very commonplace argument here, and I'm not saying it's wrong. I mean I I do not I I feel very queasy about the idea of making a profit selling arms, but at the same time 
I think that the arguments against it are often very, very simplistic. All arms sales are bad because because profiteering from this is bad. You know, it's it's making money out of death. Yada yada yada. Mm. And therefore, therefore, all those who are engaged in this unethical industry are the lowest of the low. And and again, I think you know there may be some truth in that, but it's not something uh, you could determine a priori. I think where that leads is that somehow killing an arms dealer like uh, Irene in this is justifiable that we we are we are supposed to see it as her getting her just desserts and i'm not saying i agree with that i'm i'm more saying i think that the the issue you have with it is perhaps related to the issue i have with it which is that this is a very kind of unsophisticated argument about the morality of the arms trade mm. and the real disappointment for me was this is a company that is producing incredibly sophisticated, targeted weaponry that could be of huge value in various conflicts yeah. because it would actually minimise the amount of casualties. Do you think you could... Um, OK, I'm, again, the, the virus, even a targeted virus, is, is going to make me queasy. But if you think about the, the little... Um, pheromone-powered micro-drone jobbies. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm going to get into justifying extrajudicial killing here, but you think think about if if you could take out Saddam Hussein or Colonel Gaddafi was one of those, rather than having to fight your way through his army first, his army of conscripts or, you know... Right. surely, Surely, from a a moral perspective that 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 may not be i'm not saying it's it's morally justifiable in its own terms but it's at least the lesser of two evils yes i i i don't disagree uh and and let's if you're at war okay and, and arguable the morality of war is no there is no arguable <laughs> um war is bad but if you're at war then any person on the other side is a justifiable target, right? So in, in, in the case of an actual shooting war, going after higher echelon targets seems a logical way to break down the chain of command and disrupt the army with fewer casualties. I mean, and you know, the use of assassination by the CIA, not that they're particularly good at it apparently, but it's been a thing that they've been involved with for ages on the argument that you know, higher higher value target saves problems with the total number of deaths. Yeah. Brings brings peace. I mean, everyone can agree, I think, that if you are going to go to war that the best outcome is that the war is over as soon as possible with as few casualties as possible. Obviously, there's a third thing, which is who wins, which is where the disagreement's going to be. But those two things are served by having a weapon like this. Right. Right. So in that respect, this is, this is, there's some fascinating 
fascinating stuff on this. Um, I, and you see, that that that's where it it doesn't it doesn't deliver in terms of I think the um, because the outcome is basically all this all this technology is terrible and by the end it's destroyed and we can all go oh hooray for our heroes because they have destroyed this terrible technology that actually might have been useful in the right hands because as we have just discussed it could have saved lives and I think even though Doomwatch might have ended up in the same position because it might have concluded well there is too big a risk that there is no kind of safe government who you would trust this with but they would at least have explored that before they went to their final conclusion whereas it didn't it it felt like this this show was just coming in with well all all arms all war or any technology that is created to to wage a war is inherently bad regardless of what already exists and regardless of the fact that war happens already in a way i didn't get that though from this technology i mean i thought that her friend although he didn't name who he worked for if he did it was such a ridiculous name that i didn't treat it as real was that and this shows my ignorance of international arms sales as well my belief is for the United States maybe different for Britain as well so I'm I'm showing my ignorance here but but the flavor of how arms sales work is I thought that let's say uh, Lockheed makes fighter jets to the United States specifications they developed them on contract to the United States they make these fighter jets then the United States goes along and cuts a deal with you know the good guys like Saudi Arabia, which is where this falls apart, but with the good guys, like the British, okay? And it's like, and they say, okay, fine, we'll authorize the sale of a hundred of these Lockheed jets to you. I thought that the deal still went through directly with Lockheed. In other words, it wasn't Britain paying the United States to pay Lockheed. It was the United States authorizing Lockheed to sell yeah. to Britain. And And the way this guy described his agency... I thought that's what his agency did. We are the people that say whether or not these technologies developed in Britain, who they can be sold to internationally. Yeah. And so so there's that aspect of it. But there's more than just that. These people weren't actually selling weapons technology. These people were selling assassinations, weren't they? In other yes. words, they were actually doing the work as well, or 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 were they not? Because wasn't it the 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 guy the client who actually fired the mosquito drone? So maybe maybe they did just well, I, sell him the mosquito technology and then he used it to kill. I think. I mean, I think they were involved in in using it. I mean, they they were you sent technical experts along yeah. with your weapons. Yeah. 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 But the, but the, the, they're. They were an outfit that was producing and selling these things. That was their, that was their public, you know, the, the the specific the specific deals that they were doing to assassinate this royal family or whatever would have been secret, but publicly they are an arms manufacturer or te- a technology yeah. manufacturer whose technologies include weapons because that's the interest of our man from the. Um, arms export licensing 
Yeah, I I kind of only felt like he thought these were bad because they were selling them to the wrong people. But yeah, 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 I, I, yeah. And when I think I think that was the point we came to is that that hard though that is to swallow. That may be a that may be a true statement or at least a truish statement that there are legitimate uses for this semi-legitimate sort of questionable gray moral area legitimate uses for things that kill um what i think is what i i think you're right i don't think they explored that particularly i think what the the theme that they wanted us to remember was that all this high-tech fooey is just nonsense because i mean we basically got that from the admiral and and i i think that we're looking back on a 1990s show that is trying to say young hip people know that technology is the future and old stogies don't realize that this is the next frontier sure that, yeah yeah and so you know when i said we could come back to talking about whether the breaking and entering was on the same scale cybercrime wasn't that well defined in 1995 so if they had broken into that machine remotely, eh, <laughs> you know, yeah. then it would have been the fact that they physically mm-hmm. had to break into the building is a different crime that an actual From for sure on the books crime. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, and then they're doing it. They're being very Robin Hood here in a way They're for the purest of reasons. I mean, this these this these poor Irene, she got screwed out of this technology. She sold it to a company, and the company wrote a bad check, and so they didn't get paid, so now they're a creditor of the company because the company's gone bankrupt, and, you know, the legal process there is going to take them forever to get it, and by the time they get it, the game will be out of date and useless because that's the way computer games are, and so they're just, they're just doing what's right by stealing this off that computer i I'm think paid. it's kind of and getting paid for it yeah so that's a little bit that makes it a little different but uh absolutely zero due diligence yeah i mean i <laughs> i i like i like the fact that at least because because i saw i saw this coming I'm pretty sure I haven't... Well, maybe I have seen this episode before, I don't... Anyway, I certainly haven't seen it in the last quarter century. And so I I think I saw it coming because it was pretty obvious that they had been sold a, a, a line by this woman. And so I was glad that Ed questioned that fact in it um, because otherwise you'd have thought, you know, wow, how can they... How can they be that stupid? And I and I don't mind that they're a bit stupid. stupid. And I certainly <laughs> don't mind that they're a bit greedy and unethical because they're they're hackers. Yeah, exactly. They're they're they're, they're not they're not supposed to be clean cut, square jawed hero types. Although I would say Ed has a fairly square jaw. <laughs> I, I think it's right that he questioned it. I'm not entirely sure that you wait till you're halfway through breaking into the building before you do. <laughs> Sure, but that's where we are in the plot because otherwise yeah. the, the whole thing would be yeah. bogged down with load of setup, and we'd have had to see yeah. the actual discussions. You know, I kind of mm. I understand where this stuff is coming from. The thing I have a slight question over, 
well, I mean, it's partly the thing you alluded to at the start, which is that we don't we haven't had a whole load of setup um, here in terms of explaining what the hell is going on. And Beckett and Ed are referring to this woman as a client. <laughs> and at the end of the last episode, Roz is saying, I've got a job for you guys. And so it seems like Beckett and Ed are working for Roz and therefore any clients are clients of this company that the three of them are part of. But Roz doesn't know about the client. Yeah, that's true. So Ed and Beckett are freelancing? I don't think she even knows about the job. It, well, exactly. Exactly. So I, so I thought I thought that was quite... I mean, in a way, I, I think I said last time, I, I thought it was a mistake for them to open with a set-up episode that tries to set everything up because what matters about the show is the 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 kind of the the mix of sci-fi fantasy hokum and the the kind of chemistry between the leads and the whole you know brash saturday night action stuff and to to get into the show you 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 basically got to start with that and how they came together is something you could say for later as as many shows do these days (laughs) so so you're saying like maybe the first episode starts off with them sitting around the office and the phone rings and they pick up the phone and and Roz is like Bugs Inc you got something you want to know we can find out and then we get a customer no. and they go off and do the case and then like next week they start off with uh gosh remember how we met and then cue the harp music and <laughs> that is that is that is pretty much how a lot of shows do do it now um Firefly for example did that and I I tend to think that there is a logic in doing that. If you know, if you need to go back and see how how it was, how it all came together. Basically, what I'm saying is, I think Assassins Inc. would be a better first episode than Out of the Hive because it's a better episode, and actually, Out of the Hive does nothing to explain what is going on in Assassins Inc. in terms of the setup that they've got there. We've got we've got the idea. And actually, this wasn't set up at all in Out of the Hive, but we've got the idea that Roz is somehow connected. So we know that she's leading this little group, but she's mm. also somehow connected to government friends, you know, clients or whatever. And so, I mean, that's, that's from the Your Country Needs You thing. It's, it's that she, is, she has got a job for them which is on behalf of the government, which, you know, doesn't need a whole heap of explanation in terms of this episode, apart from the fact that why were Beckett and Ed doing their own thing at the start? Yeah. But it has no... It has no... The, 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 in Out of the Hive, nothing sets that up. It has no foreshadowing in that. It's just something that we get from this one. There is almost nothing in this episode though that would tell you that Roz has any particular skills true true or Ed or or uh, Beckett for that matter I mean I guess those two can break into things but yeah I mean you see yeah. yeah you see well I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it shows that they have no particular skills I think I think we get a good idea of what their skills are in bed and egg Bed and Eckett's God. Bed and Eckett. Anyway, it, yes. In their case, I think 
it reflects quite well what we have seen they are capable of in the last episode. In Roz's case, we get to see a whole different set of skills in terms of the the kind of the schmoozing and the uh, the insights, I guess, that mm. she has in terms of what's going on, and also how she plays it, whether you like it or not. The kind of non-bluff over the bomb is pretty ballsy. So I wouldn't say she has no skills at all. I, what I would say is all of the kind of tech skills that we saw in Out of the Hive are not apparent in this. Yeah. Yeah, she, she's... I mean, apart from reprogramming the bomb, which I'm not sure we know who did that. Well, right? I based on she, she did it. Based on what clear. we saw of this episode, if, if you just started at this episode, the computer expert is Nick. Because he's the one that was able to hack into the computer. Ed was the security system expert. Nick was the computer expert. Who would reprogram the bomb? Nick would, obviously. Uh, so that's it, that is see... interesting, actually, because that that uh, yeah that scene where Nick hacks into the computer, I had assumed that what he was doing to hack into it was following instructions from Roz, because at that point, I didn't realise that Roz was completely unaware of what they were doing, and in fact, it hadn't occurred to me till now that. That means she can't have had any hand in doing that. And Beckett must have done all that on his own, which seems yep. a bit out of his comfort zone. Also, she called him and Ed in to hack into the computer after her friend said, we need to get into this thing. Yeah, She didn't go, yeah. I'll do Interesting. it. She said, I'll, I'll bring in the boys. So, yeah, I, it's, I, it was... I, you know, I agree with you. I, I enjoyed the episode. I, it was still up. Fun diversion and uh, it was high concept. I, I liked I liked the sci-fi elements in this. The you know the concept of a highly targeted virus and these these. I mean, there's quite a lot, but um, we are we are screwed clear. if anyone ever comes up with that. We absolutely are. I mean, it's a it's a it's a great doom watch scenario. I mean, the targeted drones. Okay, that's fine. I mean, I'm not saying I, I endorse it, but if you want to get somebody's pheromones and you want to send an assassination towards, um, yeah, as you say, Saddam Hussein or Muammar Gaddafi or someone like that, uh, I'm trying to think of Bin Laden. That's the one that that's the that's the prime case. If you could send one after Bin Laden uh, when that was an issue, then that would have been a a perfect example of what that technology would be uh, good for. I just have a little criticism of the way that the technology was portrayed. Okay. In the sense that it wasn't wasn't obviously clear. I mean, the first time we see it, the thing appears to have a little camera on it. Yeah. And the picture from the camera is being relayed back to the operatives, which suggests that the thing is actually in some way being controlled remotely. Yeah, that's true. But actually, true. The, the, the notion that it is, it's, it's auto-guided based on pheromones is contradictory to that, so it didn't seem totally consistent. That is true. That is true. Um, but, but where I was getting is the targeted virus. I mean, ooh-yah. <laughs> like, that... That would be so 
I mean, they meant they used the word ethnic cleansing, but yeah, I mean that was they they threw that away. But that boy, was they did they threw that line away. But I mean, can you can you think of some of the regimes out there in the world that would say things like, if we could get rid of all the Uyghurs, or or all the people of Tibetan descent, or yeah. All the people of European descent. Well, I'm trying, I'm trying uh, to. I, I've, I've already forgotten when this episode was broadcast. Was it? Yeah, no, it was. It was 90, after the Rwandan genocide, wasn't it? It was '95 that this this aired. So, I couldn't tell you when the Rwandan genocide was, but uh, yeah, uh, <clears throat> year before, I think. So that may and and they brushed over it. I mean, wow. And, and yeah, I mean, it's Saturday tea mutate. time stuff. I mean, but, yeah. But, um, it, it, it's, it's disappointing. I, I, think that's the, I think that's the part that bugs me. The, I mean, A, one, that somebody could do that and that they would do that is, is monstrously, horribly terrifying. But from the Doomwatch angle, you would say viruses mutate and you would never contain that to one group of people it it would it would eventually it would eventually change and that'd be the end of it of course if you knew that solution was so simple then it could have been it could have been <laughs> cured so therein therein lies the the negative problem if you try to wipe out a whole group of people you could at least set up equipment to try to save them programming it with x-rays was interesting i thought because i it, it sounds highly implausible but i yes i just i'm too ignorant about the you know the biology of of it to to understand what effect x-rays might have on a virus so although it sounds implausible i just don't have i don't have the knowledge to to dismiss it so I'm forced to suspend my disbelief. <laughs> I don't know enough about it, so I'll let him. I give it a pass. Yeah. It it did sound a little. Actually, they did say it could be reprogrammed with X-rays, right? Or did it say that it could? They, be they said it was. Them? They said it was programmed with X-rays. Yeah, and that that was why, if they just blast it with X-rays, that would kill it. Apparently, wipe the memory. Yeah, I guess. Okay, so no, I can I can absolutely tell you that that's. That's got to be BS. I mean, an X-ray. I mean, they're they're using a computer analogy there. They're using the analogy yeah. of of memory that's been programmed, and then and then wiped, scrambling it. Yeah, hitting it, hitting it, degaussing it, basically. Ah, <laughs> X-rays. Ah, no, no. I'm I'm going to say they needed something that that, but. Fortunately, I don't think that that's doable. I don't think X-rays would be the way to program something. They'd need to do. Uh, they'd have to do some sort of manipulation. Yeah. Now I'm gonna. I'm gonna say no. I don't. I don't buy the X-ray. I. I, I buy it if they could sterilize it with X-rays, perhaps. But uh, highly susceptible to it for the destruction. But yeah, they. They did say they programmed it with X-rays in the first place. So. But yeah, and the bombs. Yeah, that's. I guess sort of 
how do we say, uh, sort of targeted? I mean, you could get some collateral damage there, obviously, because it's a bomb. Yes, but I mean, from a from a a an assassin's point of view, the main thing is you don't waste the bomb, not killing your target. Why use the bomb instead of the mosquitoes? Answer to that question is because they needed a bomb for the for the ending. True, although I guess you have to. You you. I, I mean, we don't know. We don't know what the range of the mosquitoes is, or. They did say yeah. it was uh, two kilometers, something like two that. Two kilometers. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, you could use that in a lot because obviously, I mean, two miles. You you ha- you have to be. They 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 may be able to travel that far, but they probably also can only last a certain amount of time. So you've got to be within a sufficient distance of your target. So you 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 as launching it and your target have to be within that distance at the same time. Um, whereas the bomb you could plant somewhere and you could leave it and hours later your target could come along. Yeah, and as it happens, they planted the bomb past the security gate at the naval, uh, at either the ship or the... I thought it was the other the security gate. Well, no, I, I remember he, he walked past the guards and Nick couldn't guards, go any further. Yeah. Well, yes. that's the gate and then he had oh, to get see what past you mean. the guards yeah, no, I thought to get that, to the voice thought, coder yeah right yeah no i thought you meant security gate as in you know the gateway you have to type something into a keypad because when i first saw the bomb i thought it was part of the security apparatus on that gate yeah yeah no it's just they they did actually plant it in a secure location so they had to get past the guards to plant the bomb which yeah. <laughs> It worked because that's obviously where it needed to be, but it didn't occur to me until that moment that it was just, it was kind of, I think we could have found somewhere else, like in his phone or something. It depends whether the guards are, are always there. We don't know. The guards may have been posted because there was a particular, particularly high, there it's are possible. particularly high profile staff inside, for example, rather than actually protecting the premises. So, uh, let's see. What else uh, did we have? Well, he had the body cavity resonating microphone that they managed to get Irene to eat. Yeah. Which uh, Irene seemed suitably impressed with. Yeah, fun. Not bothered by it, but suitably impressed. Um, <laughs> that one, I, I wonder. I wonder. I don't know how you are about chewing your food, but I kind of notice. I either chew things up or I kind of notice that they're wrong when I'm chewing. So I I could see how that one might have a high failure rate. Depends how big it is, I think. I guess. It would have been nice to see it. It's like the size of a tooth filling. That wouldn't work. I, I, I suppose the problem with showing it is that if it had been, if it had been big, it would have been incredible that she swallowed it. But if it had been small, it would be have been incredible that they could make a bug that size. So by I think, not showing it, yeah. they, have, they avoid falling into one trap or the other. I think that what they've, <laughs> what what we have a failure in 1995 to look at is the enormous difficulties that we have in battery power. 
yeah. and battery technology even to this day. I mean, it's better. It's a whole lot better. But you could not get a transmitter in something smaller than granola yet. So, yeah. And, and have enough power to do anything. But, all right. It's in the James Bond category. I, I don't know that I have anything else. Um, I had I did have a, a, a sort of question slash skepticism about the... I, I don't know whether... I mean, it just wasn't addressed in the story, so I don't know what we were supposed to make of it. But the the guy who is hiring the assassins in order to kill the, these members of the royal family with this targeted mm-hmm. virus... He he's shooting at the case that is holding the virus, saying that he will release the virus yes. and the virus will then eventually reach the, the royal family. It might take years, he says, as if, you know, somehow people nearby in London could get infected by it and then would carry it. But I don't That's see true. how they're going to carry it because they're not the, the virus only infects the people with the right genetic code. Um, and so Unless if, the virus infects go, everyone. The virus then, infects everyone, but it doesn't kill anyone except the intended victim. But Maybe it's still going it. to have to produce a reaction because unless, unless you actually, unless your, your body contracts the disease, then it, yeah. there is not going to be any viral shedding for it to, to transmit to another person. So it wouldn't be... A non-virus, yep. and that's uh, that's true. What we were being presented with, so I, I thought maybe he he didn't understand, or I just thought maybe it was a, uh, you know, something that had been picked up on the next script polish if they bothered to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I can I can see your point there. Um, it, it there is sort of the implication that once released in the wild, this will continue to grow and multiply indefinitely, and. Eventually, every human being on the planet will come in contact with it, and in so doing, the royal family will die, and that's not going to happen, I think. Yeah, that's... And, you know, if you were talking about an ethnic cleansing uh, weapon, and let's say you released it in the middle of the, the people of that ethnic population, it's a good argument that it still wouldn't get all of them, Oh no! Yeah, I mean, you know, you sure. quarantine that area and 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 you know, but we, wear we know from recent experience <laughs> that that yeah. it can be very <laughs> difficult to contain a virus. Uh, I, you know, okay. So obviously, listeners are going to pick up on the fact this is probably COVID nineteen uh, is still a thing uh, when you hear this, but it certainly is a thing for us. I wonder. I mean, there's there's no there's no way to go around this. The United States government's response to COVID-19 has been incompetent at best. Criminal is probably a better word for it, but incompetent at best. Would that be true if it had a 10% mortality rate? You know, if if I, I feel like the, the poor response has partially been from a eh, no big deal, you know that whole oh the flu's just as bad kind of nonsense, and if if it had been dropping one in ten people who caught it, 
would it have been as incompetent? Would they have would they have responded? If you had a virus like this that was a hundred percent effective on a group of people, thinking maybe they would they would I, do a little I, bit I better about containing a, them. That's a difficult <laughs> question. Hoping. I mean, it's probably a less interesting thing to explore, but it would have been it would have been possible to actually discuss the the pros and cons of having a 100% effective virus, if it's 100% effective, because if it kills the people it comes into contact with, it's going to be less good at spreading itself. Spreading. So you're going you're gonna to have to build some time delay into it actually killing people because you need them to go around doing a bit of spreading before... That's not the case where you've got a virus that is just targeting one individual or a few individuals right. where you can actually deliver the virus, as we saw with the, the micro drone in this, where you can deliver the virus in a very targeted way because you're not, you're not relying on viral shedding in order to spread the virus itself. Yeah. Yeah. So they send an assassination drone after Ed that delivers a second assassination tool to Ed. I mean, I know it was for testing purposes, but there is a certain yes. amount of... of uh, or you could have just killed him. <laughs> yes, yes, that is, that is true, yeah. So you would think that they would want the virus to spread itself even amongst members of the royal family. I guess if it's a family, the chances they are they together. would be in yeah. quite close contact. And I mean, the other thing is viruses can obviously be a lot more contagious. You know, an airborne virus will be... Mm-hmm. The, the impression was this was airborne that that will be much more it will spread much more quickly so um, you know it's not a que- then it's not a question of having a better response because you would need to have a hugely better response just to get the same effect that you know you have with a, a less contagious disease yeah uh, I, I should add for the in this episode with the things that don't date well category Ed and the male nurse. <laughs> I'm just going to stay in this hospital because my nurse is cute. Does, is that how... Is that why um, your UK healthcare system is so popular? You can just stay <laughs> in the hospital as long as the nurse is cute? I think. I think the point was that Ed was... Ed was making the, the manipulations to how well he was. So, well, yeah, <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't that he was. He was. It wasn't that he was allowed to do it for that reason. It was that he was doing it for that reason. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. They, they used to have doctors that checked on stuff and said, "No, you're you're well. Get out." <laughs> but anyway, yeah, yeah. That 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 kind of ended it on a <laughs> note. Like okay, really, Ed's yeah, all right, fine. Well, I thought it was better, any... than the, better than the compressed car in. Oh, the compressed car was completely. Yeah, that that was. No, yeah, no. <laughs> no, you would just liking, never do that. I'm definitely liking Stephen Gallagher a lot more as a as a as a writer on this on the the evidence we've had so far. The other the other things I liked. I mean, there were. There were Several things I liked in this, but I th- I thought the supporting cast was stronger um, than 
last time. I spent a long time trying to work out how I recognised Peter, and he's, um, you may not recognise him, he, he's um, Pete Ramsey from The Bill. He was, yeah, no. He, he appeared on it about five years before this uh, as a regular, very annoying character. Didn't like him at all in this. Thought he was great <laughs> in this. Um, you know, equally, equally kind of unpleasant, but a lot more fun in being unpleasant. Now, so, which one is he? The lawyer, or is he her friend? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know who the lawyer was. Oh, okay. So it must be her friend. But he was. He was the one who was the sidekick. The kind of the uh, Irene sidekick. The henchman. The, yeah, Irene's henchman. That was her lawyer. I, I would call him a henchman. Okay, so yeah, he, so he was the lawyer. Is, is that's the guy who came in with her when when she said, "I'm here," and there's my lawyer, and they were right. Maganown, yeah. Well, maybe he may not be the lawyer, but that's what she said. Yeah. No, no, no okay. I, I, I like that. And also, I like, I liked, um, you know, I thought that I thought that the central trio were were good in this. I liked the fact that um, Roz showed that she could um, hold her own at these high class parties. I I liked the I liked the dynamic when Ed became ill. Again, it's it's quite a sort of new Avengersy. Thing, um, and the way in which other members of the team show their their concern over that um, by, you know, basically kicking some asses in order to, to to try and save him. But at the same time, you you see, I mean, I I know we're only two episodes in, but you see the affection that they they have for each other. So I I I thought it also worked very well from that point of view. Again, it's the reason why I thought it would have made a better first episode because it shows some of the things that make this show charming. I mean, even though Beckett still has absolutely zero sense of humour and Ed has a wildly inappropriate sense of humour, there's a lot mm. more kind of charm to the, the, the characters and their interplay. Mm-hmm. All right. And then uh, I guess that will wrap this one up. And... Uh... I don't know which the next episode. I do know which the next episode is. It's episode number three. It's called All Under Control. Yes. Oh, it's got a name. All Under Control. All right. Simon, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure, as always. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. There are over 500 previous episodes available at FusionPatrol.com. Come join the conversation on Twitter, our website, or Facebook. Find out how you can become a supporter at Patreon.com slash Fusion Patrol. Supporters get early access to all regular episodes, bonus episodes, and more. There's even an optional podcast series where we're looking at the classic TV series Babylon 5. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. Next time on Fusion Patrol, we'll be looking at the Star Hunter Redux episode, Half Dense Players. We hope you'll come join the conversation.